Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. We have reached the end of our series on angels and demons. The Bible clearly teaches that there is an invisible, supernatural world that intersects and influences our lives on a daily basis. And the supernatural world is filled with supernatural beings, celestial beings. And we've categorized them in two general categories, although we've learned there are more than one type and category of each, but we've generally categorized them into two categories as angels and demons. Angels are good and godly celestial beings. Demons, they are evil and rebellious celestial beings. The first week we talked about setting a foundation, the fact that the Bible speaks about this supernatural, invisible, spiritual world. And then on week two, we spoke about the ministry of angels. And the word ministry is the word service. In other words, angels exist to serve us. They serve the Lord. They are for our benefit. We answer the question, do we have guardian angels? And the answer is yes. At the very least, you got one, if not more than one, if you're a Christian. If you're not, you don't. But then last week, we saw one of the evil angels, and that is Satan, Lucifer. We saw his origin, we saw his his fall, and we saw his plan. And what I want to do today as we wrap up this series, which by the way, I am leaning to doing a part two. Uh, on angels and demons later in the fall where we can go on different topics and go deeper. Maybe we could even talk about heaven. What is heaven going to be like? What is hell going to be like? So we'll likely do that sometime in the fall. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about demons and their program. Here's what you need to know. There is one devil, but there are many demons. And today I want to talk about who they are, what they want, And we're going to look at five things. I really wish I could have given you all 15. But we're just going to look at five things that the Bible teaches us about these celestial beings. Now, I have to give you a warning, okay? Today, we are going to touch an adult topic. And I am not going to hold myself back, okay? So if you have little ones, I would highly encourage you that they would be in the classroom, okay? Which also, by the way... If you got little ones in here, would you just be mindful of the environment? And if they're uncomfortable, if they're not having a good time, would you highly, highly encourage one of the kids' environments for them? But I did want to give you that warning that if you got little ones in here, we are going to talk about S-E-X. That's the one time I give you the PG version of that. After that, we're all adults here. Amen? All right, let's pray and we'll jump into it. All right? Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence. Lord, as we go into your word and we touch a very important topic. Lord, the reason of doing this series has been to address this topic. And I pray and I declare by the authority and the power in your name that our understanding, our lives, our thinking, our feeling are going to be set free from any demonic activity whether that is in person or those watching online, Lord. So I guides and moves in our time in this place would lead us to our truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your bulletin, would you open it, pull out the outline? You can follow along with me. I want to answer two questions, and then we want to look at five things that the Bible teaches about demons. The first question, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, is that we want to answer, who are they? Who are these demons? Who are they? Where do they come from? Well, 
there's two big general positions. The most general one that most people hold is that demons are fallen angels. That the angels that fell from heaven, those are the demons. But there is another position, and regardless of what position you hold to, okay, here's what's important. What's important is that you believe and understand that there are evil celestial beings called demons. Right? At the beginning of this series, I said that it is important for us to know these things, but this is not one of those topics that is essential to salvation. So whether you have one position or another position about where demons come from, that does not determine your salvation. Okay? So the first position is that angel that demons are fallen angels the one I want to explore with you today the one that I personally hold is that demons and you can fill this out in your outline are the offspring of fallen angels they are the offspring of fallen angels and I know you got a lot of questions already wait a minute what do you mean offspring well they are the children they are the byproduct of fallen angels. And I know you got a lot of questions, so let, let, let's answer that. Let's look at that. In Genesis 6, we are introduced to a man named Noah. You prob if you grew up in church, you probably were very familiar with this character. And prior to the, to the account of Noah, we are given a report of what is going on on earth. And what's going on on earth is not good. It's evil. In fact, look at what verse 5 of Genesis 6 says. It says, the Lord, this is not in your outline, so you'll have to look up here. The Lord observed the extent of human what? Wickedness on the earth. And he saw, look at this, that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and what? Totally evil. Now, here's what you need to know. After Adam and Eve fell, sin entered the world and sin only continued to grow. But what we have here is that there is something that was causing a greater influx. There was something that was pushing a greater evil. And what could that be? Well, we have the answer in verses 1 through 4. Look at what it says. It says, then the people began to multiply on the earth and the daughters were born to them and daughters were born to them. Now, that does not mean that there was only females being born, okay? It doesn't mean that there wasn't any males being born. You'll understand why the focus on daughters. Verse two, the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. I know that's crazy, right? Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giants, Nephilites, lived on the earth, for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women... They gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Now, here's what you need to know. That passage raises more questions than answers we have for them. Okay? But we are going to try to answer some of them. So let's, let's break this passage down a little bit. Look at verse 2. It says, the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. First question we need to answer, who are the sons of God? Can we put verse 2 up there, please? Who are the sons of God? Well, there's two general positions. One is that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth. Because if you remember, Adam and Eve had other children and one of them was Seth. Right? Abel was killed by brother Cain, and now Seth sort of takes place of Abel. So the first position is that the sons of God refers to the descendants of Seth. But the other position is that the sons of God refers to celestial beings. Because every other time the 
that the expression sons of God is used in the Old Testament and refers to celestial beings. Twice in this passage, and I'm going to show you three more. In fact, let's look at them. They're all found in the book of Job. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So what's going on here? If you're familiar with the story of Job, the story begins that there is a council in heaven, right? And it says that the sons of God. Now, the sons of God does not only refer to good celestial beings because Satan is among them. And the book of Job tells us that the sons of God met in this council with God, right? And that is where God has this conversation with Satan about Job. And we see that in verse 5. And just in case you thought that in, in chapter 1, I'm sorry. And just in case you thought that was a coincidence, we see it again in verse 2, right? Because God and Satan have this conversation and Satan says, well, he only serves you because you've given him so much. And he says, well, go ahead and take it. And in chapter 2, we have Satan in this council once again. And look at what it says in verse 1. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Which, a little side note. Last week, we said that Satan is the Lord, the king of this world, right? That he rules here, that he was cast out from heaven. But Job gives us hints that Satan still has access to the throne of God. If you remember, before he fell, he was the guardian of God. He's not the guardian, but he still has access to the presence of God. And then in the book of Job, and we saw this uh, week one, verse 38, uh, chapter 38, verse 7, we said that angels were created before creation. And look at what it says. It says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So sons of God, in this passage, does not refer to the descendants of Seth, but to celestial beings. And what we have here is fallen angels having intercourse with women. Now, some of you, you know your Bible. And maybe one of the first verses that comes to mind is what Jesus said regarding angels and marriage and sex. Right? Pastor, what about what Jesus said in Matthew 22? Just in case you don't know your Bible, let me show you what I'm referring to. In Matthew 22, 30, uh, as Jesus is talking about the resurrection and marriage, look at what he says. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, Jesus said that angels don't get married. He didn't say they can't. He says they don't. He doesn't say they can't. So you may be wondering, well, how is it that these spiritual beings have intercourse with women? Well, there's two possible positions. The first is that there was actual celestial beings who took on a physical form. The Bible tells us that we are to practice hospitality because in doing so, some have entertained angels. We know that celestial beings can take on a human form. So that's one possible answer. The other possible answer is that these fallen angels possessed human male bodies. And through this possession, as the intercourse was happening, it, it, it gave the product, which then became, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, demons. And if you're saying, wait a minute, how is that possible? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen a demon possessed, dealt somebody who's demon possessed, but demons have the power, we'll look at that as well, to even change the colors of your eyes. They have the power to change your vocal cords. One of the co most common things you know about demon-possessed people is that they have supernatural strength. You can have somebody so short take on 10 buff guys because demons have this capacity to influence and affect the human body. So what we have here is fallen angels having intercourse 
with women. In fact, the New Testament comments on this issue. Let me give you a few of a few scriptures. Look at what 2 Peter 2.4 says. It'll be, I didn't put all these outlines. I just put the scripture on there because if I did, I would have to give you like a big booklet. But, but I know you'll save this and you, you'll go home and check me on this. Amen? I hope you do. But look at what 2 Peter 2.4 says. It says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and you would think right there, wait a minute, they sinned? Well, we know they sinned when they rebelled with Lucifer, right? But, but wait a minute. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now, when we read that verse in English, there's nothing new about it. Well, we know that they were cast out and we know they were thrown into hell. But in the original language in Hebrew, that word hell is abyss. It is the worst place possible. It is the deepest pit. It is a place of torment. It is a worse suffering. And what we have here, Peter is telling us that there is a group of angels that did something so bad that God chained them and threw them into the worst possible pit of darkness. Now, what's so different about that? Well, here's the question. What did these angels do that God took that action. After all, aren't there some strong demons doing some pretty wicked stuff out there? So why these? Why these and not the other ones that are still roaming around, lingering around? Which, by the way, the Bible tells us that demons know about this group of demons that that, that God cast into the abyss. Can I prove that to you? familiar with the story of the Gadarene, right? When Jesus comes and there's this demon-possessed man and he's got a legion of demons. By the way, that's the only time we have a demon give its name. And it might not be a name, be more of a description, which means many. But when Jesus has this encounter with this Gadarean man, He's going to cast the demons out. And look at what the demons begged Jesus for. Look, in Luke 8, 31. And it says, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into what? The abyss. They said, hey, you're going to cast us out, but don't send us where you sent those other angels. Let us go into the pigs. And what do they do? They go into the pigs. The pigs throw themselves off a cliff and the demons are now free to go possess another body. But they were concerned that Jesus could have thrown them into the abyss with the other angels. Let me show you another scripture, Jude 6 and 7. Look at what Jude writes. And he says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, that's key, we'll look at that, but left their what? Proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which, listen to this, likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursuit of natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of what? Eternal life. Do you tell that these angels that were thrown into the abyss, that were, that were bound that they didn't stay within their proper limits. It's almost that same idea that that Paul uses in Romans when he talks about men, about men and women not staying within their own proper context, but indulging in in sexual desires outside of the proper uh, uh, guidelines that the Lord put. And just in case that wasn't clear, Jude says, And he uses Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you're not familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the reason for their destruction? Sexual immorality. Yes, sin. But in specific, sexual immorality. And And he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. But he uses a phrase that's so key. He says, likewise. If you're familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God sends two angels into the city 
And he's going to bring out Lot. But, but when these angels come, the people of, of Sodom and Gomorrah see these angels. And Lot has to bring them into his house. Because do you remember what the town people wanted to do with these men? They wanted to rape them. In fact, Lot says, he says, I have daughters. I'll give them to you. But leave these men alone. Now you understand why. When I first read that, I was like, man, what kind of father is he? But now you understand that there is something celestial, something greater going on here. And what we have in Sodom and Gomorrah is we have men lusting after celestial beings. What we have in Genesis 6, we have celestial beings lusting over women. Now, when did this happen? In reference to Jude and second, when did this happen? Right, because this is the New Testament. Well, First Peter gives us a little hint, which I think it's a great hint as to when that happened. Look at what First Peter 3, 19 and 20 says. Speaking about Jesus, he says, so he went and preached to who? The spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah built his boat. So what we have here, Genesis 6, we have angels lusting, interacting, having sexual intercourse with women. And look at the outcome. Look at the outcome. We see the outcome in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, right? And that, 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 that expression came into gives the idea of sexual intercourse. Came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the man of renown. Nephilim is not a name. It is the Hebrew plural word referring to giants. So the outcome was giants. Now, now I, I wish I had time to go into all of this, but, but, but here's the thing. You have to remember that Satan always wants to distort God's creation. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God created them woman, man and woman, male and female. What we have here is Satan wanting to distort God's creation, wanting to alter it. And what we have today through the transgender and that liberal agenda is the same thing happening that Satan tried doing. Distorting and corrupting God's original creation. The giants were the offsprings. And that's why right after this, listen, that's why right after this, we have the account of Noah. Do you remember the story of Noah? What does God do in the, in the account of Noah? He wipes the whole earth. And what does he tell Noah? He says, reproduce, be fruitful, and multiply. He says, fill the earth. But this time, do it my way. Because that was the outcome. Now, the interesting thing is that Genesis 6, 4 tells us that these giants were there when this happened, but it also happened afterwards, that they were there afterwards. And I wish I had time to go into all these uh, passages that, that, that are there, but I want to point one that, that, that you're going to be very familiar with. In Numbers 13, we have the children of God getting ready to take possession of the land. And what does Moses do? Moses sends what? How many spies? He sends spies. You, you guys don't have your numbers. Some say 10, some say 2. He sends spies, right? One from every tribe. And what is it that the spies, what is the report that they They said, hey, this land, it's everything God promised. Look, we even brought some grapes to testify of, of, of how true God's promises. But we got a problem. And we got a big problem. What was that problem? 
Giants. Look at what Numbers 13, 28 says. It says, but the people living there are powerful and their own towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. Listen to this. The descendants of what? Anak. And then look at what verse 33 says. It says, we saw the Nephilim right there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. I got a question for you. Think about the Old Testament, about God bringing God's children out of Egypt into the promised land. Who were their greatest enemies? Giants. In fact, if you take every Old Testament passage where it talks about where giants live and you were to put it in a map, you would find out that there was giants all around the promised land covering, not allowing God's children to take of God's possession. Now, I don't know if you're beginning to connect dots, but just as giants tried keeping God's children from the promised land, demons try to keep you from God's promises for your life. And you got to see that, right? They, 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 they were there. Now, now I, I know some of you might be thinking, Pastor, it just sounds like too much. I mean, is it even possible? I believe so. I'm just giving you a bunch of scriptures. It just sounds so crazy, Pastor, that these angels with women. Oh, let me bring that up to our current times. How do you explain UFOs? I believe that there's people who have genuinely seen UFOs. But I believe that they are demons. I believe there are people who have seen mermaids. Third, it's not Ariel, okay? It's a demon. Hey, here's another one. How do you explain the pyramids? We don't have the technology today to recreate those pyramids. If you were to go, if you've ever gone, which one day I hope to be able to go see the precision of how those pyramids are located, you couldn't fit a sheet of paper through them. How, how, how did they do that, right? How did they do that? There's no, we don't know how they did that other than to explain that there were celestial beings that in one way or another got involved with humanity at that time. And by the way, those of you that own homes, you know that after a while, you have to keep refortifying your home because the structure begins to crumble. How come these pyramids haven't crumbled in hundreds of years? So if it seems far-fetched, yeah, I understand. But perhaps this next verse will put you over the cliff. I don't mean that in a bad way, okay? Now, let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sin, God begins to proclaim a curse upon Adam, upon the earth, upon Eve. And look at the curse he pronounces over the serpent. And that was one of the things that we didn't get to touch in this series that we'll likely touch in the next, next time we do this series. We'll talk about Satan and the serpent, how that goes. But, but the serpent, the snake, is not what gets the curse. It's the spirit, it's the evil spirit that represents the snake, okay? Now, look, 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 look at what God said, Genesis 3.15. It says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Listen to this. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your heel and you, he, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Question, who is the offspring of the woman? Jesus. I, if you read your Bible, you're gonna learn that there was no greater activity or manifestation of demons like when Jesus was actively uh, doing his ministry. And God said to the vegan, I'm gonna put, there's gonna be a war between your offspring and her offspring. Well, now you know what it refers to. So I believe that demons are the spirits of these giants who were the results of celestial beings 
having intercourse with human women. Now, if you say, no, 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 they're fallen angels, fine. We won't argue about that. It's important that we believe that they exist, though. So let me move on. What do they want? We know what the, who they are. What do they want? Here it is. This is not in your outline, okay? I'm putting it to you really simple, then I'm going to give you a more educated answer. What do these demons want? You ready? They want you, and they want me. Yeah. They want you, and they want me. Okay? And I don't have time to go into the fact that they need a body, okay? But, but, but they want you, and they want me. Now, let me give you a more educated answer. What do demons want? Well, two things. Their desire is dual. Number one, they want to hinder the purposes of God. And number two, they want to extend the power of Satan. They want to hinder the purposes of God, and we see that in the Old Testament, and they want to extend the power of Satan. You have to remember that Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once, so he depends on his minions to get his agenda done. That's why I've titled today, Demons and Their Program. Because they exercise the program of Satan. Now, here's, here's what you got to know. And I gave you all that information just because I thought you needed to know and you likely didn't know it. But, but, but all that to say that demons are constantly opposing Christians so that they won't live godly lives or serve the Lord. They're constantly opposing you. What a coincidence, right? That you wake up Sunday morning and your back hurts and you're really tired. But then 12 o'clock comes along and you suddenly feel so good that you can go to the mall. What a coincidence, right? That you say, I want to go read the Bible and suddenly you get so sleepy, but then you turn on Netflix and you stay up till two in the morning. Come on, come on, church. You think that's a coincidence or you think that's a program? Demons want to keep you from living godly lives. That's why it's a lot easier to do what's wrong than to do what's good. That's why you have 10 excuses why you shouldn't serve. Ephesians 6, 12, we've, this was our key verse, right? It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the empty world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So they oppose the purposes of God. They want to keep you from living godly lives and serving the Lord. But they also want to extend Satan's power in your life. Now, let me tell you one of their most effective ways that they do this. They do this by getting you to believe demonic teachings or doctrines. I don't know if you know this. But the devil and his demons, they have a doctrine. They have a creed. They have a set of beliefs. Can I prove that to you? 1 Timothy 4.1. Look at what it says. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from what? True faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. What is a doctrine of demons? What is a of demons. Well, I'll make it very clear so I don't have to get specific, but then I do want to get specific in one of them. Teachings of demons are anything that takes your focus and your faith from God. Well, let me, let me read my horoscope to see what awaits me today. Teaching of demons because it takes your focus and your faith from God. Oh, there's a full moon. Let me put a red ribbon because I'm pregnant. That is a teaching of demons because it takes your faith from God into a red ribbon. Some of you are like, what is he talking to? Talk to your grandma. You'll know what I'm talking about. Anything that takes your focus and faith from God is a teaching of demons. But anything that contradicts the standards and the ways of God is a teaching of demons. What we have, especially this month and in this culture right now, is the whole phrase, love is love. Let me tell you something, love is not love. Just like water is not water, you don't just drink any water. 
Love is not love. God is love. And God defines what love is in the expressions of love. And this whole love is love is a teaching of demons because what they want is to corrupt God's original creation and to keep you from God's purposes. And I don't have hate in my love. I really don't. Okay? I don't. But it's important that, 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 that we mention this because what is it that they want? They want to hinder God's purposes in you. And they want to extend God's, Satan's power and the way they do that is by getting you to believe certain things. So, five things the Bible teaches about demons. I'll go fast by these. Number one, demons possess non-believers and oppress non uh, and oppress believers. Demons possess non-believers and they oppress believers. In our day, there are many people that don't believe in demon possession because of psychology and science. They call it depression. They call it all these things and they say there's no demon. It's just some physical or mental imbalance. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Here's what you need to know. Jesus taught that people could be demon possessed. But the people that could be demon possessed were not believers. So I, I want to tell I want to warn you of something so true and, and in a very loving way. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, you can be demon possessed. Every person that, that had a demon cast out of them was a non-believer. Non-believers can be demon possessed, but there is a great difference between being possessed and being oppressed or harassed. Christians cannot be possessed. My belief, I know there's some Christians that believe that other Christians can't. I don't believe so. That demons can that, that Christians can be harassed, they can't be oppressed. See, in possession, the demon takes control of a person, the demon dwells inside of that person. In oppression, the demon attacks from without, it throws lies, it, 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 it causes things to happen on the outside, but it can't come on the inside. And as Christians, yes, we can't be oppressed. You can hear things at night, you can see things move. You know, last week I was—I happened to ask a man in this church, and I because I knew I was going to talk about this. I happened to ask him, "Hey, have you ever had an instance where, like, you're in bed, maybe in the middle of the night, and suddenly you feel this dark presence and you can't move and you want to scream, but nothing comes out?" And and all of them said no because they're godlier than me, so it's only happened to me. And I wanted to ask them because I knew I was going to talk about it. So I wanted to get some feedback from them. So I said, oh, okay, great. Well, that's awesome, right? Well, that's happened to me a long time ago. Here's the thing. What a coincidence, right? This past week after church, Lorena went to go visit her dad for three days because uh, he, he was in the hospital. So she just wanted to spend some time with him. So she went and I stayed home alone from Sunday to Wednesday. Well, guess what happened one of those nights as I was by myself? The devil is a liar. I'm not demon-possessed, but I understand the demons. What, what do they do? They try to oppress me. They try to harass me. I was in my room, man. I don't know what time it was, and suddenly I just woke up, and I just I didn't want to open my eyes. What a coward, pastor. I wish you had been there. See if you had opened your eyes. Right? And I didn't want to open my eyes, and I began to pray, and I began to call on the name of the Lord, and then I went back to sleep. Demons do oppress us. In fact, I believe that this is what Paul had in mind in Ephesians 6.16 when he said, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the enemy. If you're a believer and you're concerned, you may be says, I got one question for you. Have you accepted the Lord into your heart? Because if you have, the Bible tells us that when we do, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not going to share a dwelling with any demon. So if, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, rest assured, you're not possessed. You may be oppressed, but you're not possessed because the Holy Spirit is with you. Now, if you're not walking with the Lord, well, then, then get serious. Get serious, man. And, and, and by, the way, by the way, 
What if a demon manifests, pastor? What if a demon manifests in my kids or one of my family members? Well, let me tell you something. You cast them out in the name of Jesus. Okay? Look, look, look at what Mark 16, 17 says, and it'll take me to my next point. This miraculous sign will accompany those who what? Who believe. They will cast out demons. How? Not by talking to them, not by asking them kindly. Hey, in Jesus' name, get out of here, dude. You have no place here, man. In fact, I don't know if there may be somebody watching online or somebody here, but if you feel that there's been some demon activity in your life, I just want to say in Jesus' name, that demon has to leave right now. Amen. That home has to be cleansed right now. That car is cleansed right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Second thing the Bible tells us about, about demons is that demons are strong. Demons are strong. My, Mark 5, 2 through 4, I'm not going to read it because um, I don't have time. But, but here's what's going on. Jesus is talking about demon possession. And, and he says, when a demon is cast out, he goes and he wanders. And after some time, he comes back. And if he sees that the house is in order and that there's nobody filling it, in other words, if the Holy Spirit is not filling it, Look at what he does. He goes out and he gets five more demons worse than him. Right? Demons are strong. Right? They're strong, but they are no match for Jesus. They are no match for Jesus. They may have more strength than you. Listen to me. Amen. That's why when a demon manifests, you don't wrestle with them physically because they have more power than you, but they don't have more authority than you. And that's why you call on the name of Jesus. Amen. Number three, I got a little confused there. There are degrees of evil among demons. There are degrees of evil among demons. And that's, that's actually the story I, re, I just referred to. It says that the demon uh, goes out and finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're messing around with, with evil games, you might yourself into serious trouble. One of my personal convictions, listen to me. My personal convictions, because of what I understand about Scripture, is that's why I don't watch scary movies. And he's saying, but I don't get scared. Well, you might not get scared, but you give access to these demons to wreck chaos in your financial life, your health life, your family life, your spiritual life. You don't want to do that. Because the Bible tells us that there are degrees of evil. And if one day, listen, here's another thing. We can't stay still and be the same Christian we've been for years. We got to get stronger. Because you defeat some demons, but that demon is going to go get a worse one and try to come get you. That's why your marriage is not enough that, well, we went to counseling five years ago. Yeah, you were dealing with one demon then. You might be dealing with a different one now. You got to keep growing in the Lord. Amen. Number four, number four, demons are behind all idol worship. Demons are behind all idol worship. Listen, don't think that idols are just images. It's not just a hobby. It's not just a game. It's not just a bracelet or a necklace. It's not just, no, they are behind all idol worship. And when I talk about idol worship, I don't want you to think about just images. An idol is anything that replaces our affection and our faith that we should have for God. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3. I do want to read this one. He says, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with what? With demons, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the, at the table of demons too. Here's the key thing. Paul says, do not have fellowship with demons. How do we have fellowship with demons when we participate of anything that is idolatry? You are having fellowship. 
So if you earn a bracelet, a figurine, crystal, or you're reading the horoscope, you are having fellowship and you are opening a spiritual door into your life. Don't do that anymore. And the last thing, demons cause various physical afflictions. They can. Not all physical illness is, is because of a demon, but they can cause it. Not all mental health is the result of demon possession, but it's behind mental health issues. I don't believe, don't believe that every person struggling with depression, demon, do not believe that. But I do believe that behind every depression, there is a demon wanting to push that further. Do you understand the difference? Look, look at this. Let me read to you two passages. Then the demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and what? See? You have a demon-possessed who is blind and can't speak because of the demon. And as soon as the demon cast out, he can speak and see. In Mark 9, 18, and, and whenever the spirit seized him, it threw him violently to the ground. And the, then he foamed at the mouth and grinded his, his teeth and became what? Rigid. Because demons can cause physical affliction. Now, how do you fight demons? I wish I had time. But I don't. So here's what you're going to have to do. After Father's Day, the following Sunday, we're going to answer that question. And the answer is the armor of God. Man. So, so you got to be here next Sunday. Great all dads especially your heavenly father. But then the Sunday after that, we're going to answer that question. But, but, but here's the thing. Let me finish with this. This is important. Please don't miss this. I know you're thinking about your coffee and what you're going to eat. But, but here's the most important thing. This whole series, this whole series, I've done it just to be able to do what I'm about to tell you next. Okay? You need to understand that there is a physical world. But there is also a spiritual world. And in the physical world, see things but sometimes we miss the spiritual world. And some of you are a tragic and dangerous mistake because you are living your life based on the physical world and you are ignoring the spiritual world. You see a problem and you have a physical answer for it. You have a challenge and you have a physical answer for it. And you are ignoring that there is a spiritual world that is really what moves things. Do not make that mistake. Your battle is not with your kids or your spouse or your coworkers or cancer. There is a spiritual world behind and it needs to be addressed first and foremost. Stop thinking that it's enough to just go to church and then live the way you want to live and ignore God throughout the week. Listen to me. The devil will not mind you being at church if he could get you the rest of the week. If the only time you are spiritual, and that's even if you're feeling good, is on Sundays, you are making a dangerous mistake. Have to go about life the way David did. David faced the giant, and now we see that giants are the result, they're demons. And I love the way David. Look at the passage in 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 46. Now, listen to me. If you know the story of, of David, you know that as David was walking toward the giant, he picked up some rocks and he had a slingshot. He didn't come all hyper-spiritual either. Because the other mistake is that you can, you can leave everything to God and you take no responsibility. And you, do an, you do no work. We know that David picked up these rocks and he had a slingshot. But when he talks to the giant, when he faces the giant, look at what it, how he does it. In verse 45, he says, David replied to the Philistine. And he replied, because the Philistine, this demon, was trying to cast fear on David. And he said, what am I, a dog that you come against me with rocks and sticks? He tried to intimidate David. 
David says. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, physical things. But I come to you, how? In the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. See, some of you, you got a giant and you're trying to get in a stick fight with him. He's going to beat you. You're trying to get in an argument fight with him. You don't come to a spiritual battle with physical uh, weapons. You come in the name of the Lord. And he said, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Listen to this. Today, the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut your head off. I love that. Because David understood that it was not his war. It was God's battle. And he says, God is going to do the hard work. And all I get to do is kill you and chop off your head. Because he went about spiritually. He went to a physical battle with spiritual armor, with spiritual weapons. So church, don't make that mistake any longer. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and kingdoms. If after the series you continue going the way that maybe perhaps to this point you've been doing it, what a tragic event. But my prayer has been that the spirit would awaken and open your spiritual eyes to see. I got to get fasting. I got to get serious about church. I got to get serious about the Lord. I got to change my cussing. I got to stop having sex outside of marriage. I got to stop stealing. I got to stop gossiping. I got to stop being apathetic during worship. I got to stop making excuses to get in God's word. There is a spiritual battle. And the way we defeat the spiritual enemies It's with spiritual weapons in the name of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.